Well, as usual, we're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Chapter 20, we spoke last time on the first four verses. And we look at the next few verses in a moment. I don't know whether you take the Daily Telegraph, but in the colour supplement this week, something which really astounds me. It's under a title, Long-Term Vestments. Listen, read this. They're not just bling. Canon Martin Warner, the treasurer of St. Paul's Cathedral, says merrily, he is the force behind the fabulously vivid embroidered, and would you believe it, crystal-studded new vestments recently unveiled and about to celebrate their first Christmas outing at the cathedral. But even from a long way down the nave you catch a little sparkle. That's from the crystals. He is referring to the very generous gift of thousands of crystals from Sarovsky. He's a, a firm who sells crystals. Sweet, uh, Swiss firm, I think that have been sewn into more than 200 magnificent new pieces from thrillingly arcane dalmatics, chasubles and stoles to lusciously large silken altar frontals and smaller belts and mitres. Listen, the £250,000 commission funded by the Friends of St. Paul's and the Worshipful Companies of Cloth Workers, Broaderers and Gold and Silver Wire Drawers is part of the celebration to mark the 300th anniversary of the rebuilt cathedral. It has been done on the grandest of scales, a full set of apparel for the entire church year with about 50 copes the robes which Anglican priests wear for festive events, 60 Eucharistic vestments, such as chasubles, in the four colours of the liturgical seasons, purple and white and gold, red and green, all in the finest silk, hand-woven in the Suffolk countryside. And although some of the individual pieces are of Liberace-like ostentation once worn in the grandois scale and surroundings of St. Paul they not only tone down but fit in any more modest and they might appear self-deprecatingly plain. I won't go on. Isn't that incredible? These garments are copies or they're looking at the types in the Old Testament but the types have disappeared the reality has come the Lord Jesus Christ has appeared at this Christmas time that they're all celebrating in these cathedrals and they don't realize that he fulfilled all these vestments and things they're trying to maintain an earthly priesthood while those who are priests are of a, of a heavenly priesthood Christ being our great high priest nothing to do with all these vestments we have access 
into the holiness through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to have holy vestments. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. The veil has been broken. We don't have high priests now on this earth. And having a high priest over the house of God, as the Lord Jesus Christ, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Here in these verses we have no fancied holy place in a building. No rude screens dividing the, the laity from the clergy. No inner access denied to the rank and file of people and only open to a supposedly priestly class. No communion rail dividing the worshippers. No supposed hierarchical order of priests. None of that here in these verses was only one great high priest. No order of priests except that enjoyed by each member of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. No canons, no archbishops, no vicars, no lord bishops, no deans, and so on. No divinely authorized channel of those who can only pronounce absolution, preaching, and dispensing of the so-called sacraments. We don't have special garments for the priests. No chasubles, no copes, no Eucharistic garments. We are clothed in the garments of salvation and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I just It just amazes me that £250,000 on vestments which are totally useless in the worship of God. So, you know, Christmas is almost upon us, but the world around us knows little of the Prince of Peace. And, and when we read articles like that, they know little of the reality of the fulfillment and the abolition of the law. The law has gone, but they seek to carry on the vestments and all the rest of it of the law. You know, in the past few months, we've seen a decline. In, in 2008, there's been a decline in ethical life. Or maybe there hasn't been a decline. What has happened is that it has been exposed. The ethics of people have been exposed. Morality, which is driving big business, has been shown to be something which is eating away like a canker, unobserved at the heart of our banking and commercial worlds. You know, the average man in the street has been totally unaware of this scheming and downright dishonesty which has now been exposed. Our politicians have been unmasked as money-grabbing, self-promoting egotists. 
with their John Lewis lists to refurbish their second homes. And you know, it's not going to get any better. It's going to get worse. There will be those teachers who tell us that the world is going to get better before the Lord Jesus Christ will come to set up his kingdom. And I was thinking about that, and I just looked up again what one of the uh, well-known commentators in the Reform School, a man called Gill, and his comments on the, the mustard seed and spreading up and spreading its branches. Here's, here was part of his comments on that. He says that it's a picture of the increase of the gospel and the ministry of it of the grace of God in the heart and of the church of Christ and his interest in the world of the gospel and the ministry of the gospel as to which large spread in the world which at first was confined to the Jews but was afterwards published to the Gentiles and carried through the whole world then he goes on to say that the church will fill the earth and the kingdoms of the world will become the church and all nations of the earth will flock into it like the birds going into the, the mustard seed and the people who will figure in the church he talks and the great personages the kings and princes of the earth that will be in it he's got great faith well, he had great faith when he wrote that a hundred or so years ago got a long way to go if you believe that kind of teaching well let's turn to our passage for today read the first nine verses I think chapter 20 when thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and the people more than thou be not afraid of them for the Lord thy God is with thee which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be, when ye are come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight with you against your enemies to save you. And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate And what man is he that hath planted a vineyard? and hath not yet eaten us. Let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat us. And what man is there that hath betrothed a wife, and hath not taken her? Let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, what man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. 
And it shall be when the authors have made an end of speaking unto the people, that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. Well, we, we looked at the first four verses uh, the last time we were together. The priest was to encourage. The priest of God was to encourage the people and to remind them that the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And we too, are Christ as Christians, we have the assurance that Jesus said, Hebrews 13.5 I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Jesus said again, Lo, I am with you always. As these men were going into battle, they had the assurance that God was going to fight with them. And as we go uh, uh, through the world, we have the assurance that Jesus said, I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. I am with you always. And we really believe that. You know, the battles we go into will, will appear so much easier when we have Jesus on our side. With Christ in the vessel, we'll smile at the storm, we used to sing. And then we, we look at these <coughs> few verses from 5 to 9. You know, we mentioned too last week that we're always in a battle. The Christian life, we are always in a battle. If we let up, we will lose ground. Peter, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be calm, collected in spirit. Be vigilant, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, goeth, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He is constantly looking out for people that he can attack. And we must be ready. You know, if I went... If I went to, into the jungle and I knew there was a, a man-eating lion around the place, I would be constantly on my guard. I wouldn't be sitting having a picnic. How silly that is, but, you know, many of us treat our arch-enemy Satan like that. You know, we're constantly in a war zone. We don't have our horses sitting out in the middle of Basra having a picnic. They have to be constantly vigilant, sober and on their guard. And so in these verses we see some conditions as to who and why they should fight in this battle. The, the, the conditions of enrollment in this army that was going to attack in Deuteronomy. They had to be prepared. The officers giving these orders wanted an army capable of withstanding the enemy. And, and God wants a church, an army, capable of withstanding the wiles and the fiery darts of Satan. And he has provided the wherewithal for that. And he wants the right attitude in people who are wanting to fight in his army. Who is the man that has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. A man whose mind was not totally on the battle was not to stay. 
his house was only half finished and if it was like that his mind would be partly on this house and partly on the battle he had not really finally settled yet in his inheritance in the land he wasn't fully committed uh, to the land you know years ago when they started selling off council houses I believe part of the, the thought behind the, the government in those days was that if these people uh, were able to buy their council houses then they would be more fully committed to, to the, the, the government plans and the government ideas if you own your own house on the street you will be more careful as to what happens on that street and more so then for the whole country and that's what they had in mind here this man's house was not yet finished he hadn't fully entered into the inheritance in the land you know the Ephesians it would appear if we read Ephesians 2.19 now therefore let, let therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God oh yes they had the Ephesians had taken up full possession of their inheritance they weren't any more strangers and foreigners the, the, these people had come into their inheritance in, in, or were coming into their inheritance in Deuteronomy and they were going to be assumed as strangers and foreigners but they were going to come in and possess the land and they were going to live in the land they had to be committed to the land are we totally committed to the work of Christ? it says that they were to dedicate it what man is he that hath therefore built a new house and hath not dedicated it let him go and return to his house lest he die in battle he dedicates it to, to God well, we have to be fully dedicated to God if we're going to be any use uh, for his the battle that we're entering on you know mercenaries have no stake in the country for which they're fighting mercenaries are not in the battle really for God we have to have a total commitment to the inheritance which we have in Jesus Christ they're like the hirelings we don't want to be like hirelings in John 10 the hireling fleeth because he is an hireling he'd no stake in the sheep really he was only being paid to look after them when the wolf came he left the sheep we must be sure of where we stand and for what we stand otherwise we will fall we will fail so the man had to go back finish his house and then come back again to show that he has complete commitment to the inheritance which he was about to possess there's an interesting one here in verse 6 what man is he that hath planted a vineyard and hath not yet eaten of it let him also go and return unto his house lest he die in the battle and another man eat of it now turn to Leviticus chapter 19 Leviticus chapter 19 there were 
special laws regarding military service and vineyards. Leviticus 19.23 And when you, sh when you shall come into the land and shall have planted all manner of trees for food, that's like the vineyard, then ye shall count the fruit thereof as uncircumcised. Three years shall it be as uncircumcised unto you, it shall not be eaten of. But in the fourth year, all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord withal. And in the fifth year shall ye eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof. <coughs> I am the Lord your God. And interesting. For three years after planting, they were to regard it as being uncircumcised, unholy. Then the fourth year, it was to be dedicated unto God. And the fifth year, it could be enjoyed by the one who planted it. It took him four years before he could then enjoy the fruit of his labor. It was in the fifth year that he tasted the joy of the Lord. He had to learn discernment. Because he couldn't eat of it for the first three years, it was to be regarded as something which was unfit and unholy. And then on the next year, it was to be regarded as something which was dedicated to God. So this man needed to have a lot of discernment when he planted those uh, vines as to how eventually he would enjoy the fruit of his labor. The, the, the fruit of his inheritance. We need discernment in our Christian walk. It somehow speaks to, of, to us of maturity as a Christian. Only those who have experienced the joy of the Lord. Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord was their strength. As they maintain the stand behind the walls of Jerusalem, he said, what is the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord was their strength. And only those could fight vigorously for the Lord in Nehemiah's day who had the joy of the Lord as their strength. We cannot truly put all our effort into something which does not give us joy. Unless we're dedicated. You know, if a fellow is playing a game of rugby and he couldn't care less whether his team wins or not and he gets no joy out of playing, well, he's not worth having on the team. And similarly, unless we have and know the joy of the Lord in our lives, we won't be good soldiers. We need that sense of maturity. May we cultivate a life of maturity and discernment. And one which gives joy to the Lord. And that inner joy may we know only by complete yielding to him day by day. You know, remember the story of Reuben, Gad, and half Manasseh? 
That was an interesting situation. They, they were prepared to fight for the inheritance, but they weren't prepared to live in it. They weren't totally committed. You know, Abraham, we spoke about Abraham, I think, the last time. Let us make sure that, like Abraham, he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He knew where his inheritance was, and he constantly looked for that. We have a wonderful future inheritance. May we press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus daily in our lives. Right. Who is the man, verse 7, who has become engaged to a wife and has not taken her? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take her. How compassionate of God to have a law like this. God had tender feelings of a man and his betrothed wife. He was engaged. And how necessary it was that there should be those who would inherit the land in the future. God had this tender law to say that a man who was engaged, oh, let him go and get married first. How necessary it is to ensure that there are those who sorry, who will enjoy the inheritance of God in the future. God was interested, obviously, in having a generation coming on and on and on. We should be looking daily to make sure that there will be those who will carry on the worship of God in our land and in our churches. And God had this tender, tender law that a man who was engaged should go and start a family and ensure that there would be those who would occupy the land in the future. Then we come to an interesting one in verse 8. What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his own heart. What a problem it is to have timid and frightened soldiers in a battle. It ruins the whole morale of the whole army. We've met Christians who have been timid. And you know, so often that leads them into some form of compromise with the enemy. Paul had good advice to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy, I think it is, chapter 1 and verse 6. Let's just get that out. Paul was writing to, to young Timothy and he regarded him as a, as a soldier. And second 
For God, well, we read from verse 6. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by putting on, by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who hath abolished, abolished death, and hath brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. He says, stir up the gift which is in thee. Don't be timid. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. A spirit of power, and of love and of a sound mind a strong mind so let us not be timid and fearful not to be ashamed of the those who preach the gospel because it says Jesus Christ has been manifest he's appeared into the world he's the saviour Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What a powerful God we, we worship. And he says, Timothy, don't be timid. Be strong. Hebrews 12.2 Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and the set down and the right hand at the right hand of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Why? Consider the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. Why? Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. If we consider what Christ has done, the power of Christ and the power of God raising him from the dead, that will help us. We won't be wearied and faint in your minds. Let us be sure that we stir up the gift that was in us, that is in us. You know, we have a picture, a wonderful picture of people who were timid in Gideon's day. If we go to Judges, Judges chapter 7. We have the story of Gideon. Gideon wasn't always strong and powerful. Remember when the angels appeared to him, he was he was uh, threshing corn in, 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 in a wine press. That was a terrible place to thrash corn because he was afraid. And there's no wind in a wine press. If you're going to thrash corn, you should get out in a windy sort of place because it'll blow the chap away. 
But he was timid in those days. But then God revealed himself to him in a very powerful way. But in, in Judges chapter 3, we have the situation where there, this this army had gathered together. He'd blown the trumpet and they had risen up against the enemy. 32,000 of them came. But look, God said, there's too many here. They're not the right kind of people in this army. And God is always wanting uh, to get rid of the chaff in his army and only have people who are useful to him in this battle. He says, now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. Oh, make an announcement. Anybody here afraid? Anybody here timid? Surely not. <laughs> 22,000 went home. That only left 10,000. They were no use in God's army because they were timid and afraid and it would only have reduced the whole morale of the army if they had stayed. You know, that army was eventually whittled down to 300 from around about 32,000 people. God is not in the numbers game. He is concerned with those who are 100% dedicated to his cause. Finally, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1, we have some strong advice that Paul gave to Timothy. Thou therefore, my son, 2 Timothy 2, 1, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Not in his own strength, but strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have, that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, here we're back to witnesses again. The same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness. You know, these chaps who do a lot of the, the, the very vital work in the forces these days, these SAS chaps, they endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul wasn't going to tell Timothy, take it easy, it's going to be an easy life. He says you're going to have to endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. We're not of this world, is what Jesus kept saying. You're not of this world. Don't get entangled in this life. This world is ruled by the, the enemy, Satan. He's the god of this world. Therefore, he says, Timothy, no man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. God has chosen us 
to be a soldier in his army. May we please him as we prepare and as we are enrolled in the army of God. Thank <laughs> you.